Thank you so much. It's uh, my joy to be with you and uh, thank you David and uh, the elders for the opportunity to uh, be part of this particular series. We obviously want to uh, encourage each other to to love the word, to learn the word and to live the word and this morning uh, we're going to look at ways in which we interpret God's word for principles. We're going to look at two this week and two next week and uh, you've probably noticed as we've gone through, as you've gone through the series, uh, that they can be quite long and you've probably been reading some material outside and uh, this morning we're sticking to two uh, principles and uh, I trust that God will uh, encourage us through this word this morning. You've been noting that uh, regardless what sort of study that you do of God's word, whether it's a character study whether it's a word study, whether it's a chapter study, a a verse study. uh, There are different methods that we cover in the Bible study methods book and no doubt you've been reading that but you always come back to uh, four main categories of questions and those four main categories you've probably memorised by this point, have you? Do you do a test before you start to make sure that you... Understand. So what do we mean when we say observation? Observation is what? You ask the question... Sorry, you've got it all. Very clear, that's good. So (laughs) you ask the question, what does it say? And uh, what does the Bible say? And you just write down specifically what it says and it doesn't have to be anything fancy, it's just what it's obviously saying about the passage. And then you go to interpretation. And interpretation, you ask the question, what does it mean? You're going to talk about that and uh, a little bit more this morning when we talk about principles of interpretation of God's word. And then there's correlation and correlation is where we ask the question what does it say in other verses of the Bible and then we explain the verse because the best Bible commentary on any verse, on any passage is in fact the Bible uh, itself. When you don't understand a particular passage you look at what other verses say to help you understand it and that's called correlation. And then the fourth principle is uh, that of application. And application is where you say, what am I going to do about it? Uh, It isn't a Bible study until you've actually uh, done something about it. It's not enough to just put thoughts into your mind because as we read God's word, its intent is to change our lives. The Bible uh, 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 wasn't given to us to increase our knowledge Uh, The Bible was given to us to change our lives. So the final step in every Bible study is uh, what am I going to do about it? What difference does this make in my life? Today we're going to look at interpretation and correlation. How do we know, how do we understand the meaning of a particular text Our Bible passage this morning is one of the most vivid passages of the Bible where Jesus gets very intimate uh, with and very personal uh, with his disciples. It's a very well-known passage. It's a powerful passage found in John chapter 15. If you can turn with me in your Bibles to that or if you use an iPhone or an iPad, whatever, we're going to read it together in a moment. And then we'll try and unpack it to find out what it means 
and, and what it doesn't mean and how to model getting the right meaning of a particular passage of scripture. You've probably heard a, a Christian say, uh, God doesn't expect us to be successful, uh, he just expects us to be faithful. Now that can be at times a bit of a cop-out from being successful. It can be a cop-out uh, for failure or inaction. Uh, it sounds good but really it's not true. It's only half true. Uh, the Bible teaches us uh, that not only does God expect you to be faithful in life, he also expects us to be fruitful. Fruitfulness or bearing fruit is one of the major themes of the New Testament. God says, I have made an investment in your life and in my life. I made you, I created you, I saved you, I put my Holy Spirit in you and I want a return on my investment. Now he doesn't say it exactly like that but you get the point. I expect you to live a fruitful life, to be productive. I've planted the seed of God's word in you and I want it to bear fruit. So God not only wants us to be faithful, he wants us to be faithful and fruitful. And one of the key passages on this is John 15 and we're going to look at the first 17 verses. Listen, uh, Jesus is talking and he says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. This word remain means to be connected to like being connected to the vine. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches picked up and are thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and I'll be given and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit. God wants you to be a much fruit person, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands, and remain in his love. Am I up to date? No. That's a, that's better. And remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this than he lay down his life for his friends. Sorry. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. 
Instead I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. You did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last and the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my commandment. Love each other. Friends, these 17 verses have more spiritual insight and more power-packed truths than we could possibly cover in, in two months, let alone in two weeks. But we're going to try and apply some of these truths to your life and to mine. What we'll do today is to focus primarily on this concept of, of fruit. We need to see how this verse or these verses can be uh, interpreted but also how they can be misinterpreted because this is one of the most misinterpreted passages in scripture. If you ignore the rule of interpretation we will get it wrong. Rick Warren makes a very strong argument that there is only one interpretation but many applications. I don't often... I don't altogether agree with his, uh, his, because usually I say it's my interpretation that's right and everybody else's is wrong, if you understand. And so whilst there is an interpretation and there are many applications, it's uh, it's sort of, uh, I know lots of people in different issues that the Bible raises that they interpret the same passage very differently and it's not just in application. And so the principles that we're going to learn are principles so that we will interpret the scriptures uh, accurately. Now of course sometimes the applications can depend on whether we're a man or a woman. You know, we interpret, do we interpret things differently? Yes. It can uh, depend on whether we're young or, or we're old or we're married or we're single or we're from the 21st century or the 1st century. You know, it depends on our, our perspective, how we interpret those scriptures. Uh, he suggests, Rick Warren, that there is a limitless number of applications to every verse in the Bible, but there's only one meaning to each verse, and if you don't get it right, you're going to get, go off the deep end. It's important that we understand certain rules of interpretation. Otherwise, we can make the Bible mean anything that we want it to mean. Uh, unless we go by rules of interpretation. You can make it say anything just by taking verses out of context and misinterpreting here and there. In Bible college we used to say a text out of context is a pretext and that is true. So we're going uh, to look at how to interpret verses of the Bible correctly so that when you're listening to somebody speak or you listen to a message on the radio, uh, you uh, have discernment and you can say, you can discern what is right and wrong, uh, whether or not the person who is speaking is violating the scripture or whatever. One of the problem verses in this particular passage is verse 6. Verse 6 says, uh, If anyone... Uh, doesn't remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Now this verse can be grossly misinterpreted. Some tend to say, if you don't remain in me, you're going to be thrown away. Branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. And some suggest, if you don't bear fruit, 
and by the way the fruit of the Christian is another Christian which is fair enough to get apples from apples and pears from pears so it's okay for somebody to say the fruit of a Christian is another Christian but then some take this verse even further and say if you don't bring people to Christ God is going to throw you away and you're going to lose your salvation and you're going to burn in the fire of hell. That's a gross misinterpretation. That is not what this passage says. And so, because when you interpret it that way, you're ignoring the context and the rules of interpretation of the scripture. And so we come to the first principle. Now, these, uh, this principle, the first principle, is that we must consider the historical Context: who is being spoken to and why. Until you know the who, what, when, where and why, you don't know what the verse means. Long before you ever ask that, uh, does this verse mean to me, you need to ask the question, what did it mean to the people that he was talking to then? That's the original meaning of the text. Not some application for you today, but what it did mean to the people that he was talking to. And you say, who was God talking to or who's being spoken to and why is he saying it and when is it being said? This particular passage in John 15 was a passage on fruit bearing right in the middle of a four chapter conversation that's all said on the same evening to the same group of people. It was said the night Jesus was betrayed, arrested and taken to be whipped and scourged before he was crucified. This is, if you like, the last conversation of Jesus before he goes to the cross. Jesus has spent three and a half years with his twelve disciples. He's hand-picked these men who have lived with him for those three and a half years as he trained them to take the ministry after he was to leave. He wants to spend time with them. He takes them to a very private place for a very private conversation. What he's saying here, he's not saying to the whole crowd. He's not preaching in the synagogue. He's saying it to the most trusted followers, the people he loves the deepest and the dearest because they have lived with him in his entire three and a half years of public ministry. In John 13, 14, 15 and 16 we have one extended conversation that all happens on the same night. It's not separate. He's talking to the same guys the same night and in John 17 he then prays for them then he is arrested and taken and crucified. So to understand chapter 15 you've got to go back to chapter 13 to understand the context means to look at the verses before and after the verse that you're studying in particular so you just don't pull it out of context. So as we noted, he's invested three and a half years with these disciples. He loves them. These are his farewell instructions. When somebody is saying their last words before they die, most people listen intently. What Jesus is going to talk about in this conversation 
is the most important thing that he wants his disciples to understand. Because if there was anything more important, believe me, he'd be talking about it. He is now summarising his ministry in these four chapters. Jesus takes them to a private room. It's called the upper room. There they observe the Passover which becomes the famous Last Supper or becomes communion that we have shared this morning. In that intimate relationship with those he loves most he starts the conversation in chapter 13 and verse 1 and it's, uh, it's not on the outline that you've got that in your notes but let me read this one to you in John 13 verse, uh, verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You can imagine this incredibly intimate scene. It says Jesus knows who, who he is and he's going to perform an act of service to his disciples that's going to blow their mind. It's going to astound them. Jesus does the absolute unexpected. Here the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe, takes off his clothes, wraps a towel around himself and begins to wash the feet of his disciples and they cannot believe what he is doing. This is normally a servant's role. He is serving them like the lowliest servant. He says next, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, sorry, Jesus replied, you don't realise now what I'm doing but later you will understand. Peter said, no, Lord, sorry, he said, came to Simon, who said to him, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. I think we're on a slightly different uh, uh, passage of scripture, but uh, not to worry. Uh, I see what God is going to do. Uh, So Peter said, no, Lord, uh, you shall never wash my feet. Uh, Lord, you're the Lord. No way, Jesus answered, unless I wash your feet. Peter, you have no part of me. Then Simon Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. You're clean. I've gone ahead of myself, sorry. He says, no, we'll go back to there. He turned to his face. Then Simon Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And so uh, Jesus answered, a person who's had a bath needs not only to wash his feet, his whole body is clean. You are clean, though not every one of you. 
for Jesus knew who was going to betray him and that's why he said not every one of you was clean. So Jesus goes, you're clean but not all of you because he knows Judas is still there. When he finished washing their feet he put his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? Jesus asked him. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so for that's what I am. I am the Lord, I am your teacher but now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet so also you should wash the feet of one another. I have set the example that you should do as I have done. And so here, uh, sorry for the I hope you kept up with me and I didn't confuse you too much. So he's giving a a beautiful intimate picture of serving each other. And this is the first lesson he's giving to the people closest in his life before he dies. Jesus knows they're going to be devastated by his death. They're going to be in grief. They're going to be in shock. They're going to be saying it's not supposed to happen like this. They can't believe it. They're going to be confused. He goes, guys, you're going to need to love each other and you're going to need to serve each other. So I'm giving you this example to hang in there together. And for the rest of chapter 13, Jesus emphasises the importance of loving each other because he says, you're getting ready to go through some tough times and I want you to love and I want you to serve one another. And then we come to chapter 14 and in chapter 14 Jesus makes a number of promises. This is the same conversation. They're still in the upper room. He's talking to just the 11 guys because Jesus has left. He knows they're going to go through some hard stuff so he gives them some important promises to encourage them and there are four specifically. In verse 11 he says, you guys don't worry because I'm going to heaven and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Yes, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. Then I'm going to heaven and I'm going to prepare a place for you. So don't worry, it's all going to work out. That's the first thing. In verses 12 to 14 he says, and by the way, you don't need to worry because you can talk to me anytime in prayer. I'm not going to be there physically anymore, but you can ask anything in my name and I will do it that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So go ahead and do it. Don't worry. I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you and don't worry because you can always talk to me in prayer. Then in verse 15 to 25 he said, don't worry because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to put my Spirit inside you and be with you. He will be your strength and he will be your comforter. He will be your guide and he will be your counsellor. So you don't need to worry. No, I'm not going to be here, but the Holy Spirit is going to be here with you. Then he says in the last few verses of chapter 14, verses 27 to 30, don't worry because I'm going to give you the gift of peace. He said it's peace, not as the world gives. In the world you're going to have tribulation, you can count on that. You're going to have problems, but I'm going to give you peace and my peace overcomes the world so I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you you can talk to me anytime in prayer I'm going to put my Holy Spirit in you and I'm going to give you the gift of peace 
so that no matter what goes on, you're going to be at peace on the inside. And that's all of chapter 14. And at the end of chapter 14, the last verse he says in verse 31, he says, come now, let's leave this place. So Jesus and the 11 disciples leave the upper room, they're walking out of the upper room and they go down into the valley, uh, Jerusalem uh, is up on a hill and up the other side of the mountain where the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is going to pray and where he will be arrested and as they're walking from here to there, they're walking through the vineyards of Jerusalem. And Jesus sees these vineyards and he decides to give them an object lesson. That's where he starts in chapter 15. Now that seems a long time to explain the context of, the, uh, of how you interpret this particular chapter 15. But that's the background. And it's important that we understand that background. Now I am the vine and my father is the vine keeper. Every branch that stays connected to me is going to bear fruit. But if you get disconnected from me, you're not going to bear fruit. So you've got to stay connected to me, guys. I'm going to be gone. I'm not going to be with you, but you've got to stay connected. Don't get distracted. He goes on and he talks about bearing fruit by staying connected. And then at the end of that object lesson... He says, I have told you this so that my joy will be in you and that your joy will be complete. Now friends, that's called the context. Who's he talking to? Why is he saying it? It was to give them encouragement. Knowing the context, there's no way he is talking about hell. He said, I said this that your joy may be full. Don't you think it would be joyful to say, by the way, I'm leaving you and if you don't stay connected to me, you're going to go to hell and you're going to burn and you're going to be disconnected and you're going to lose your salvation. That's not at all what he's talking about. The context makes that interpretation nonsense. So the first thing is that you look at the verses before and after and you ask, what does it mean. The second basic rule of interpretation, and we're coming near the end, it's not going to be as long as the first one, be assured. Don't go to sleep on your new pews, you'll be finished in a moment. All right. So we, we, we must define the, the new words. And if you're going to get the right meaning of the Bible verse, you've got to make sure that you understand what the word means, not what you think it means. Just because it means something somewhere else doesn't mean that it means that in a particular scripture. Have you ever had an argument with your husband or wife or your boyfriend or girlfriend because you both used the same word but meant different things by it? Now, I'm sure you have. And if you say no, you're probably telling a lie. But, you know, it's, it's men and women talk a little differently. Now, words have multiple meanings and, and the context determines what it means. Now, I always feel sorry. We have a ministry across culture uh, of uh, teaching English as a second language and every Thursday night we have about 70 people come from all over the world that they try to learn English. And of course, English is a very difficult language uh, because there's so many things that sound the same, there's so many things that, that, that mean different things. 
and it's very, very confusing. So my heart goes out to all those of you who, in fact, uh, English uh, is your uh, second, uh, second language. Uh, and there's a few examples, of course, that you might like to uh, have a, a look at. Uh, I won't go through all of them, but uh, you note uh, the word date. You know, have a favourite fruit to eat as a date and Joe took Alexander on a date. You know, the word engaged. And leaves. The children love to play in the leaves and they do not like when their father leaves for work. You know, so there's all these things that make it very difficult. Uh, and the rose, my favourite flower is a rose and he quickly rose from his seat. You know, it's, you know, how do you get around these things? And then there's things that seem the same or sound the same. Eight and altar and band and fair and jeans and great and nose. You know, there's all these things. They all sound the same. How do you get your head around it? And then there's other sayings. Uh, read, she's going to read the book later and he read the book last night. You know, exactly the same thing. Uh, bow, she put a, a bow on her daughter's hair. Please bow down to the Prime Minister. Well, depends which week uh, <laughs> that you <laughs> see the Prime Minister, I guess. Uh, and this one, sower, the rats crept through the sewer, she's a fine sower. Now, how, do you, how do you get your head around, around that way? All spelt the same. You know, so there's lots of illustrations in, in English and wound and, and wind, they're all uh, very difficult. Now, it's the same in Greek and it's the same in Aramaic. There are words that sound the same that have different meanings. So it's important when we read the scripture that we don't look for words that we understand in our context and we put our, impose our understanding on them because we could uh, misinterpret uh, the text. So we must understand the meaning of the word. So when you look at a verse in the Bible and you see a word, you, you can't automatically assume, like fire, that that must mean hell. Not necessarily. In this particular passage, John 15, the word love is used nine times and the word fruit is used nine times in 17 verses. Most of us would figure out that I think I know what love is, but what is fruit? If I'm called to be fruitful, if God expects me to bear fruit in my life, I'd, like, I'd better know what it means. What is fruit? If he says, that, says this is what brings glory to God, then I'd better know what fruit is. So how do I know what fruit is? People say, I know what fruit is, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, kindness, self-control, those nine qualities. Not automatically. You see, the word fruit is used 44 times in the New Testament and it has at least 10 different meanings. You can't just automatically assume that you know what the word means. Uh, we find in verse uh, Matthew 26:29, it talks about the fruit of the vine, and he's talk. Uh, sorry, it's uh, the word fruit is used for the fruit of repentance. In uh, Romans chapter 7 and verse. Five. Sorry, I've got ahead of myself again. I'd better go back. So the fruit of the vine, in Matthew twenty six twenty nine. In Romans seven verse five, it talks about uh, we bore fruit for death. He's talking about a sinful lifestyle. In Romans fifteen eighteen, we receive this fruit. There he's talking about an offering of money as fruit. In Galatians 5.22 he talks about the fruit of the Spirit and they're the nine godly uh, characteristics that we just mentioned. 
in Ephesians chapter 5 sorry do we get yes in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 9 he talks about the fruit of life which is truth righteousness and goodness in Colossians 1 6 the gospel is bearing fruit and growing he's talking about new believers and in Hebrews 13 verse 15 he talks about praise to God and the fruit of our lips when you praise that's fruit so you see what is it if God says I am to bear fruit and John 15 Jesus is saying that this is important uh, and it's one of the last things he's, he's talking to his disciples about we better know what fruit means what does it mean what is Jesus talking about when he says we must bear fruit in this context now that brings us to the third principle of interpretation interpret unclear verses with clear ones and because time is gone you'll have to come back next week to understand what fruit is all right? and, and we'll pick it up from there but let me finish with, with Hebrews you know, uh, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 to 13 says uh, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart and no creature is hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. When it comes to judging our motives, Jesus, the great physician, can determine with laser-like precision the difference between what's healthy in our lives and what needs to be removed. When God reveals something in our lives through his word that needs to be removed, we need to come with the words of Psalm 139. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Because that's the emphasis. As we in this 40 days in the word, we come to love the word and to learn the word and to live the word so that it's part of us. Let's bow together in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for the fact that you that your word is truth. And Father, we live in a world of make-believe. We live in a world that it's very difficult to discern what is truth. But we, as we gathered around your word this morning, we, we thank you that you have allowed us to see the intimacy of the context in which Jesus spoke these words of chapter 15 and as we go out we go encouraged because we know that it is your word that discerns the, the intent of our heart. Father, we know that you have uh, gone to prepare a place for us. You, we know that you have given to us your Holy Spirit to help us understand the spirit-written word of God. And Father, as we, we go, we pray that we'll go with a sense of peace, we'll go with a, a sense of encouragement and enthusiasm to, to know the word and, and to learn the word and to live the word. Father, they're nice words, but unless we do it, we miss out on the blessing. We miss out on the understanding that you have provided, the revelation of yourself and the revelation of your purpose for us, Lord. Help us to go determined that we will 
prepare that we will intentionally love the word and learn the word and live the word for your glory Father so that others may see Jesus in us and be magnetically drawn to the cross Lord this is our prayer may your grace and peace go with us in Jesus precious and worthy name Amen Amen God bless you